0: Hello my guys, my gals and my non-binary pals. Welcome along to another episode of the Peter Greenwood Show at the Fringe 2021 podcast. My name is Peter Greenwood. I am delighted to have your company. We have got some fantastic interviews for you today and we are starting with Dr. Whom. Could I start by asking your names and what you do please?
1: Yeah, so I'm Jasper Christie hyde I'm going to my final year studying politics at uh, University of Cambridge, and I am the co-writer,
2: co-director of Dr. Whom at the Edinburgh Fringe. I'm Jake Rose. I've just finished my master's degree in astrophysics at Cambridge University, and uh, I also co-wrote and directed uh, Dr. Whom at the Edinburgh Fringe.
0: What is Dr. Whom? It's probably kind of an obvious thing to ask, but what is your show? Tell us a little bit about it.
1: What is Doctor Who? It's certainly Uh... not copyright (laughs) infringement, that's for sure. (laughs) original work. To the eponymous sci-fi. No, uh, it's a spoof of Doctor Who, of course. Um, It's an original narrative comedy, um, set in a universe where there is a Doctor Whom with his robot dog, uh, companion Stacy. They, fa- they face off against the Mister and the Dorlex. So it's a lot of like very, very obvious spoofs of well-known things. Um, and the story of the show is essentially uh, a what if uh, the Doctor finally won? What if Doctor Whom eradicated all evil? Um, you, we're using this kind of Deus Ex Machina thing called the Ending Machine, and via a very timey wimey wibbly wobbly Doctor Who way, uh, Doctor Who manages to get control of this Ending Machine um, and eradicate all evil uh, yeah. from every conceivable reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, the show spins on to the the repercussions of that. Um, we have the Mister and Doctor Who's companion Stacey become this sort of like dom sub duo in the Mr and Mistress. Um, we have Doctor who goes to therapy, gets captured by these two insane like toxic fans who like are upset that there are no more Doctor Whom adventures for them to watch, um, that sort of thing. And it sort of spirals into this discussion of like free will and the nature of fandom and the problem of evil and all contained within this like love letter to the show, um with a lot of very silly comedy. Yeah.
2: um so it's it's quite a lot packed into fifty minutes, I yeah. would say. I think i'd uh, the only thing I'd add to that very uh, accurate description is uh it's kind of uh, rewarding everything we've loved about the show and mm-hmm. uh, mocking everything uh, we perhaps don't to yeah, not like those last couple of years <laughs> and certain uh, leadership.
0: And there's a lot to, to lot to not like over the last few years. Let's be real. I'm going to yeah, try I... to let not let this devolve into a massive Doctor Who
3: conversation.
0: Yeah. We're going to try and keep it accessible for everybody who may not know mm. in depth mm-hmm. about the show. But where did the idea come from?
2: Um, so we we did a show together mm. that was like a, a a kind of a very silly and funny and uh, a weird pantomime mm. and. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes we I did. did. Yeah. And we had, uh yeah. we had quite a few conversations about maybe mm. writing something together. Mm. I think we just got into a conversation about Doctor Who mm. one day and then we realized there was a show opening and we just threw in a very last minute pitch about mm. Doctor Who and uh, pitch the show before we had a script. Yeah. Or even the idea of what would contain, be contained in the script. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was over at, at a yeah. Costa
1: in December, I yeah. remember. And we were trying to like, okay, what well, was it? Doctor Whom. Okay, fine. Mm. What's the plot? Um, mm. We can sort of cut to something. I think we had a rough idea at that point of mm. like, Maybe Doctor Who like defeats all the enemies. Then sort of what happens then? Mm. But we didn't have anything more, and we just submitted the pitch, and yeah. And then they were like, "Yeah, sure. What? We'll, we'll we'll stage this." We were like, "Oh mm. God, okay.
0: <laughs> um Now we've got to and We're going to do it." <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'd like to ask a little bit about Doctor Who and what mm. elements you chose to include, but also elements you chose to to leave out. What was that process like?
4: No, uh, it
2: was. Uh, I think it was kind of it was really organic for us in the sense mm. of. We kind of, are, like, so Gasper is definitely more into the, or at least knows a lot more fandom stuff from the new and really mm. old Doctor Who, whereas I'm kind of more uh, more the average fan, I suppose. Uh, I think the main things that we definitely take from the show is sort of the personality traits of the Doctor. Mm. And so we portray a lot of the, the maybe worst features of the Doctor mm. that uh, never really get brought up um and uh essentially never get addressed in recent shows but uh the kind of arrogance and the, the bravado and, and the
1: um getting companions killed yes yes the sort of mistreatment companions oh. kind of thing the sort of um yeah the whole the whole show is pre- predicated on the base of doctor whom assumes they're infallible which is why they can eradicate evil across every conceivable reality mm-hmm. um so we sort of and of course doctor and doctor who
2: sort of also assumes they're infallible quite a lot mm. so we sort of play with that idea mm. um in terms of just uh, like characters and stuff mm. it mostly depends of can you change a vowel in their name <laughs> and it sounds similar but doesn't sound similar enough to be copyrightable exactly yeah. exactly so that's where the mister and the door legs come from or in the case of robot
1: Dogs, so we have our Sort of fully functioning actual robot dog on stage which is like this big model that our technical designer made um of a kind of pastiche of k9 attached to a remote control Mm -hmm. car which jake controls from the tech box and we have a voice actor playing him Mm -hmm. Um, so he sort of like drives around the stage and then his voice booms across the uh, booms across the sound system so it's also the kind of like um what would what would simply look cool on stage um we thought oh, we've got to have a kind of robot dog in there that's an immediate like wow that's a really cool thing that this show has done um Mm. yeah yeah i would say so yeah very very organic process very much um Mm. picking stuff that's easily spoofable um and can work within the theme of the show that we wanted to explore and stuff that we were like, okay what can what can we actually pull off on stage and what would look very impressive
2: um i suppose there's a lot that's uh that's certainly been in drafts of the script Mm. certainly when we were redrafting now that's Came in and then been taken out because mm. maybe it's too complicated or it's a bit too narratively unsatisfying. So, which uh, is a reference to our show if you ever watch it. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I actually find it hard to think of a single character in Doctor Who that couldn't be spoofed. Mm. They're all beautiful in their very spoofable way. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Now you said that that does. I'm trying to think of one that can't be spoofed, and they all, they all ca- they all have a target on their backs. Yeah. Think <laughs> <Yeah. about it. laughs> I wanna ask, and I know this isn't the most interesting topic of conversation, but I do want to ask a little bit about the copyrights. Did you hmm. look into that when you were putting the show together? And if you could have used the master and the Daleks instead of the Mr. and the, the Daleks, was it? Would you hmm. look, what was that process like?
2: I think even if it was allowed. So the the it's certainly something uh we're not doing anything too egregious. Uh it's certainly Flying under the radar, it's not a big show. Like it would never get on TV or anything uh, without being licensed, but we're not doing anything too egregious. So although we joke about copyright where we don't actually think we're doing anything too uh Yeah, tedious. yeah. yeah. But, but I think even if we could, I don't think we would have used the Mr. or the Daleks. I think it's it's fun making these very on-the-nose references and mm. um. You know, being being able to make it obvious it's a it's a spoof, and we're mm. we're making the silliest versions of these characters that we mm. can, mm. and uh, you know, kind of looking at them through a kind of distorted wibbly wobbly mirror type mm. view. Yeah, yeah. Our producer is a lawyer, so
1: yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, yes, no. I will- that yeah. helped. That helps. Mm-hmm. Now, what what Jake said is very much a parody. It's very much a spoof. That um and and Doctor Who parodies and spoofs at the Edinburgh Fringe are a well worn tradition at this point. I've seen plenty um in my time, mm-hmm. and there's there's a brilliant um spoof shows and improv shows yeah. and that kind of thing. Uh, so this very much falls in that tradition, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I don't think there's a single reference or mention in the show of anything that's actually copyrighted. Everything has yeah. been tweaked. Um, And plus, there's a lot of original characters in the show as well. We have our um, Doctor Whom's therapist, Jeff, um, who Dr. Gives free will to, um, becomes the Doctor's companion, and that's an entirely original character. Mm. Our antagonists are original characters. Stacey, slash the mistress, the the original companion is original character. Mm. Um, So we really enjoyed that element as well of actually... It's not just, oh, everything in it is something you've seen in Doctor Who, but tweets slightly. Mm. It's actually, oh, we're going to see an original spoof satire parody of Doctor Who um, with elements that we know and love. Um, but there's also original elements that the writers and team have come up with.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you ever accidentally messed up and been like, so, Master, I mean, Mr., and like accidentally No, no, called no. Characters <laughs> Fortunately
2: um, not. Fortunately yeah. not. I think uh I think for the most part we're uh, we're more likely to do the opposite. Where we're going to actually talk about like the mister or the uh, no the master. I did it again. <laughs> the master, <laughs> the master-, <laughs> the master of and use the, the wrong words because we're so ingrained. We're in selling grace this terminology this. now. Yeah. yeah, it's been um. We've all been living with the show for a very long
1: time because we first, as, as we said, we came up with the idea in December 2019. We first staged the show in February 2020 um for a three-day run in Cambridge um and it just kind of exploded in this incredibly fun way and we sort of sold out every night and uh it got this like these really lovely reviews from the student press um and we all became incredibly close like cast and crew doing it and then of course COVID happened um and theatre in Cambridge is like a huge ecosystem and industry but because of COVID it's you know pretty much one of the last in-person shows that was performed mm-hmm. um so it sort of meant that there was this very long afterlife for the show um within for us and we constantly talked about like, oh we've got to do it again like can we do a sequel we talked about bringing up to the fringe last year and then of course it didn't happen mm-hmm. and we sort of you know our group chat was very active constantly um, and then finally this year we were like okay the fringe is looking like it could potentially happen let's try and make this work Um, and thank god um, the odds seemed against the show happening at so many points over the past few months but everything's just fallen into place Um, and now we've performed five shows out of 12 which is amazing Um, but as a result we've all been living with the show for like eighteen months at this point, and you know many of the same actors have returned, which is wonderful. Um, and those who couldn't, for various reasons, are still you know send their love and that kind of thing. So this is very much a, we've been living in this world for a very long time, and we're very, um, very much identifying with and engrossed within the universe and the characters that we've created and the mm. script. And that kind of thing. So, so yeah, as Jake said, we're I think we're likely to to confuse the show for our, the actual show for ours yeah. at this
2: point. We're very hard to go drinking with afterwards because it's just all in joke after in-joke <laughs> in Um uh,
0: well, I wouldn't recommend buying us a pint. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna ask because the fringe was got nobody knew if the fringe was gonna happen this year, and it got kind started kind of late. And I imagine you were putting the show together and then Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall made their announcements. How <laughs> did that change your show at all? Did it affect it at um, all? I kind of
2: wish it came just a week after our show. Uh, mm. it's, an, it's, it's, a, it's an open secret that maybe our show makes light of some of our... Um, the writers and executive producers of the current <laughs> version of Doctor Who, of which I think there's only one, and uh, <laughs> um, we 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 actually don't uh, make fun of of Jodie. We we kind of agree she's maybe just a good actress, mm. uh, wrong time. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, okay. Lots of things came together. Uh, actually hasn't changed the script a lot. We were we, no, we, we were making so. fun of Chibnall two years ago. Let yeah, know, and
1: <laughs> bless <laughs> you, bless <laughs> you for yeah, the good yeah. work.
5: <laughs> yeah yes
2: yeah, so
1: it's sort of um yeah it hasn't it hasn't really changed the script at all like we have a um we have two doctors in the story our main doctor whom and then there's like another doctor whom who sort of comes in at plot convenient moments who's sort of meant to be a jody pastiche mm. um but um that's the only major thing that's changed from the original run i think um but yeah no we still have the same chivalry jokes that we had um back in 2020 as we do now um i think the only thing it really changed was that it um uh the announcement sort of Perhaps put more spotlight on on Doctor Who at the fringe, um, as people are aware that um, people are more aware that, like, oh, you know, we're going to see we're going to see this Doctor Who spoof. Oh, uh, you know, the the writer and the actor are leaving. Uh, this sort of like a time of transition kind of thing. So I suppose it's. i I suppose the only way it's changed is it's like helped publicity a little bit um but also because in these times of transition for the show it sort of throws everything up in the air doesn't it so like oh well what's doctor Who going to be next who's going to take it over who's going to be the doctor it's a show that you know has remade itself so many times everyone's thinking what's the next next iteration going to be um and i'd be very surprised if it's this um (laughs) given that it's filled with swearing and nudity um but uh you know it's an exciting time where everything gets thrown up in the air and you think oh, okay what's what could the future hold it's it's a time of creativity i think so in that sense it, it's it's a very good time to be performing dr him
2: yeah. no one no one's no one's given us the show running job um no that's, that's, quite, that's quite clear yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes, maybe, maybe awesome they're welcome show. to get in touch yeah. <laughs> if they want i'm very happy to respond to those <laughs> emails Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, stranger things have happened in the universe. You never know. Hmm. You never know. Where can people find out more about you and the show online?
1: Where can they? Um, They can follow at Show on the social medias. So that's Dr with a D-R on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, That's where all the info about the show and the team is. Um, There'll also be links in there to our previous work so our production company that we set up is a time and a place productions um so the group of us so myself and jake and our producer vicky um we uh yeah we started on making dr whom and we've made um other shows during our time at cambridge um uh radio plays two superhero radio plays called the adventures of Sharkman and Sharkman 2 uh we made a weekly um a satirical news show in the vein of like the day-to-day called tomorrow's news um so all of that is in the ether of people would like go and watch it um mm-hmm. and uh but yes for for doctor whom it's at dr whom show on mm-hmm. the social media Media. Mm-hmm.
0: thank you so much for your time today guys it was great to speak to you oh, thank you Thanks. great to speak Thanks, to you nice. and come watch
2: dr whom yeah
0: <laughs> Doctor Whom is playing at the Genesis Theatre at the Space Triplex from the 23rd until the 28th of August. Can I stop asking your names and what you do, please? Sure. Um, I'm
5: Holly Boyden. Um, I'm the writer, uh, producer, and one of the performers
4: in It Kind of Looks Like a Donut. And I'm Lisa, and I'm the actor that plays Eva in Holly's wonderful play.
0: How are you today? Are you well?
4: Yeah, good. Good, thank you. How are you doing?
0: I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show and talking about your show. What is It Kind of Looks Like a Donut?
5: So it is a play um, about, it's a three-hander, and it's kind of derived from my experiences growing up queer in the East Midlands, um, as well as some kind of health complications that I had um, around 2000. 13, 14, um, which also collided with my best friend getting accidentally pregnant and negotiating parenthood in less than ideal circumstances. Um, And it's taken, well, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, seven years for us to, um, for me to build the show into what I believe is the best version that it can possibly be. And it's grown so far, it's grown far beyond the autobiographical kind of kernel of an idea of the stories and it's become something completely its own um and Eva who is played by Lisa is the character that is based on me but in absolutely no way is me anymore because Lisa has injected herself into that character and I have built on top of it and Lisa has been a major part of kind of us being able to kind of (laughs) make it make it a real story as opposed to just a this is what happened to me narrative.
0: It sounds like it's Kind of an intense story. And that part of the problem with with these interviews is I want people to talk about their shows, but there's only so much you can say without spoiling it. So what can you tell us about the show without spoilers?
5: What I will say is it is a, and this is kind of a direct quote from the show. It's a one, it's a story about having one more hole than a man has. Um, but there is other stuff. Um, and whatever that is, we're going in up to the fucking elbows. (laughs) And it's it, it's colliding friendship, grief and uh, the supernatural with some really quite visceral bodily experiences that women are told to not speak about.
0: What made you want to tell this story and to put it on such a personal stage as The Fringe?
5: Um Going for as a as a, I trained as an actor and I was always told um, at drama school I went to Royal Central that I would need to make my own work. And so I did. And I took the advice write what you know. But I also never really wanted to, and that's partly me being quite defiant and trying to make life difficult for myself, never wanted to do a one woman show and never wanted to fall into the flea bag trap um because I said I wanted to tell a story that wasn't necessarily just mine I wanted to show myself and show the world that I could build a narrative that was outside of my own experiences and whilst I absolutely love and adore and can't quite get my head around people that are able to do one woman shows because they are a different beast of person they are the idea of being alone on stage for an hour is that's something that (laughs) absolutely freaks me out um, and so that's that's why I started thinking. Well, what have I got in my bank that I can tell this story? And how can I make it? This is my my starting piece. This is who I am as a writer. This is I'm launching myself out into the industry. And so it's not just me and my story, but it's lots, I hope it connects to lots of other people's experiences. Cause that's the whole point I said to my director once when we were having a DMC over some wine, she says, well, what's the whole point of you being alive? And I was like, the whole point of me being alive is to say something that somebody somewhere goes, that happened to me and I felt like that. And thank you for saying that. And I feel better that it's not just me. I'm not alone and I'm not weird. Um, and that's why um, I told this story. Um, Lise, what drew
4: you to it? Well, I have to say that I feel that you accomplished those things because, um, you know, the kind of feedback that we've had from the plays, things like, oh, wow, it's nice to just say that out loud or it's nice to hear that out loud, you know? Um, And Holly has this amazing talent to write Northern humour as well. I feel that before I met Holly, I hadn't found anything that I really really connected with and then when I met Holly for the first time and she gave me this monologue to read I was like oh wow this is this is great I really connect and relate to this you got the humor down she's just a very very good storyteller um and it is kind of something that will connect with all women, all men, it's it's for anyone, isn't it? And then we're all all going through the same things at the end of the day, we're all on this planet to figure life out. Um, But we're just, I think I relate to this story a lot because me and Holly maybe have been through similar experiences growing up in the North as as girls, as females, Um, and the bluntness that comes with it. And, you know, the kind of, oh, you're going for this, oh, deal with it. (laughs) That kind of thing, isn't it? For me, um, that's what first initially drew me so much to the play, just how real it is.
0: I'd like to ask a little bit about putting the show on in such... No, (laughs) let me start again. When it came to putting the show together for the Edinburgh Fringe, what was the difference between putting it on video and doing it in person? And which would you prefer to do in the future, the video version or the the in-person version?
5: So we have been we've been fortunate enough to do it in person. We did. Um, we received the Pleasance Curve National Partnership bursary in 2020 in January, just before the apocalypse and were due to have. 30 dates at Edinburgh Fringe 2020 Um, and then obviously you know Mm,
0: 2020 happened
5: I don't know if people (laughs) were aware Um, and so that that um, it came as a a real blow but also slightly kind of as a relief because this is my and Lisa's I believe first fringe ever I've never even been before Um, and that's partly due to a lack of self-confidence massive anxiety about um being in such a huge beast such as the Fringe and not having the confidence to know how to even begin to tackle it when you've come from a background where it hasn't been been part of the drama societies that went up or a family that even went to the theatre. I knew that the Edinburgh Fringe was something that happened and you had to be really good and I just stayed away from it. And in the customer service jobs that I had throughout my time in London, often I worked in theatres and they would veto (laughs) the August months and you weren't really allowed to take holiday because they knew everyone would try. So I just never went. Um, And so when I received the award, I was like, oh my God, I've got to go to the Fringe. And then on top of that, um, I was informed by the Pleasants who are incredible, brilliant supporters, but they said, oh no, you're gonna be producing it. You're producing this yourself. (laughs) And I went, hmm? And I (laughs) said, what do producers do? Um, And so, yeah, I um, have produced it for live and produced it for online as well at the same time, um, because, the idea this year, we weren't sure the when it came to April, March, and I started getting in touch with the Pleasants and the Curve again, they were like, well, we don't know what's happening. We don't know whether or not the Curve's going on. We don't, we don't, look the uh, Fringe is going, we don't know what's happening, but try and produce anyway. And that's what everyone was doing because we were just doing their best. Um, and without a professional, quote, producer and a huge budget, it was very much the Pleasants' decision to say, look, you've got a cast of three um, and a modest budget, I think that the best thing for us and for you would be if you perform in London, as part of our London festival, as opposed to going all the way up to Edinburgh and essentially bankrupting yourself for maybe very little return at this particular point in time, um, because we just didn't know what the festival was gonna look like, or if you'd even be allowed to do live performances. Um, And so we have had a week of brilliant, brilliant live performances, one of which was filmed by Liver Limited, and that is our online on-demand sharing for the Edinburgh Fringe. Um, I am personally of the opinion that I think theater always works better in person because there is a temporality and a visceral nature to it that just can't be captured on film unless that show is specifically designed for film first. Uh, And I know that there are are a couple of um, people that I've been in contact with kind of doing PS swaps and making connections and making new friends who have done shows where they've gone Well, This year we're not doing a live one, but what we're gonna do is make our show that was live perfectly online. And that's not necessarily what we've done. We've done a live show that has been shared in another format.
0: I'd like to ask Lisa a question. Lisa, you're playing a character called. Now is it Eva or Ava? Sorry, it's Eva. Yeah, Eva. Sorry, I'm, I always get those two pronunciations mixed up. Eva, Ava. It's it's it's. Oh a yeah,
4: well, actually, through her development, she was called Ava. Oh, was then... she? He's gone back to Eva again. So yeah.
0: That's so interesting. So I was half right without even knowing about it. That's fantastic. <laughs> normally I'm normally I'm always wrong. Today I'm half right. Fantastic. <laughs> I want to ask a little bit about playing Eva, who Holly says is essentially her, but is not her. What's it like playing somebody when they're staring you in the face?
4: Hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think um like any actor's role it's kind of trying to bring trying to feel like it's real and believable and connecting with other people because at the end of the day you're here to have a conversation and communicate with someone and if you were to play the role of Eva or Holly was to play the role of Eva you would bring what is you into the character and understand it the best way you can and then on top of that um, then you get the little voice just going like, "This is this is Holly's story. This is like something that really happened." And you know you want to respect that, and you want to try and get to the heart of where they were, and do do the writing justice and do the person justice. So I think um, I spent quite a lot of time this time um, for the full length Edinburgh Fringe show to really. Delve into the characters and the story just for myself to try and unearth what was going on between the lines and everything. So I think that was quite an important process for me, and I felt very close to Holly after it. <laughs> I went in one of the rehearsals and I was like, "You're so brave. You're so strong." <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's it's a really um, it's a gift as well. I think to to connect with with someone on that level as well. To try to understand what they were going through and communicate that with other people who are going through that too.
0: When it came to putting on the show, how did the show change between the live version and the recorded version? Or did it change at all?
5: It's a good question. Um I think that, I mean, the best person I think to ask for that um, would be our incredible director, Natasha, um, who unfortunately can't be with us today on this Zoom because she has a very, very... <laughs> she's got an incredible job at the National Theatre. Um wow, doing that's cool. Associate director on East is East. So she is in rehearsal at the moment for that. And we are so very grateful to have had her as a part of this huge, huge part of this show. Um, I believe that... For me, I could say I'm so close to the show now as a writer, producer, and also one of the performers in it. I got to a point where you go snowblind and I I couldn't tell whether I was good, whether I was bad, and what like kind of which way it was Christmas. So um on reflection, um, as I've said, I, I believe that the show has changed slightly in in its in it being translated to online, insofar as you don't, you're not there with the sweat, blood and tears and the the kind of the visceral, ugh, or whatever it is in the room. Um, and I believe that, that that is actually quite an intensive, like n- nature, that it's quite a integral part of this show for me because I wrote it in a very theatrical way. Um, so, and if I were to adapt it for film, I, there were things that there are things I would do differently. Um, uh, namely things like staging, um, because due to the nature of the, the, the screen there's a character who plays a lot from the back of the stage and for the majority of the, sh- of the, the online show and we can't see her as well as i would like um, but there's things that you live and you learn and liva have d- like have done a beautiful brilliant recording but at the same time this is a piece of theater that's been recorded as opposed to a show that is an online show um, and i think there's a real distinction between that sp- particularly this year's fringe
0: What is the future for the show after the world's least favourite C word bogs off?
5: Well, I'm hoping um, that we're able to tour um again I'm doing I'm learning everything as I go uh, I'm an actor who accidentally became a writer who accidentally became a barista who accidentally became, and now <laughs> accidentally became a development editor who then accidentally became a writer again and now is a producer so I've learned all of that in the past like six months and um everyone's going so yeah have you made a tour pack and I'm like Google's what is a tour pack so this is where <laughs> we are <laughs> um very much a tour back,
0: back. now I think of it <laughs>
5: But the curve, the curve and the pleasants believed in me and gave me the, gave us the award because of the fact that we are so early career and so unspoiled, I guess, by kind of some cynicisms of the industry and having done it so many times before. One of the prerequisites of getting the award was having never been to Edinburgh before and having never shown anything there. And it was to take a regional writer, performer, artist and go, look, look at this thing that you've never done. Um, we're going to help you do it. And you go, I don't know how to. <laughs> um, but yeah, We'd like to tour. I've written it as a TV adaptation. I've written the pilot in episode two um, and a treatment, um, which is obviously kind of lays out the story, the characters and how the, the play grows. And it is, it's quite a different beast to the play because with TV, you have so much freedom to be able to tell, multiple stories at the same time and tell a story through a single look or through a single shot as opposed to in theatre you have to make it very explicit and it's just so hard to write for theatre in comparison which I have mean, I've really enjoyed the freedom of being able to adapt it to tv and I would love to see it on screen um that would be my ideal um, and I think Natasha the director would agree we were speaking to um a producer after the show and she said this is this is a show that could very much be a TV series because not all theatre shows can be and some should stay as theatre shows because they are the most beautiful version of themselves in doing that and some of us kind of could be both or are better as TV and I, I don't know wh- what we are yet but I'm very very proud of us and it and the fact it even exists in the first place because that, like six months ago I was at the point where I was like I'm going to retrain as a veterinary nurse I can't do this. Really? Really. <laughs>
0: I'm glad you. I'm glad you stuck at it because I'm really looking forward to seeing the show. I haven't seen it yet. I'll put my hands up. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm looking right. forward to seeing it. Thank Where you. can people find out more about it online and about you online?
5: Um, me personally, um, I'm on Twitter um, at Boyden B O Y D E N Holly with a Y, um, and there I kind of ramble on um, and swear and effuse and about the show. And um, our, yeah. also, we have an Instagram account at donut the english spelling d-o-u-g-h
0: yeah it's not just d-o as the americans call it
5: so it's it upsets me so much when i see it i'm like that's not how you spell it (laughs) donut underscore the play um and i've had to get instagram for the first time um as part of this, which has been a deeply, deeply unpleasant experience. I really think social media should be illegal, but, you know, it's a necessary evil.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, at this stage, it's just there. It, it does its job. It, it's a tool.
5: I'm now addicted to makeup tutorials, so that's that. <laughs>
0: well, at least you got something out of it.
5: Thank you. Yeah.
0: Well, um, like- that,
5: that's what you can. That's where you can find us. Um, and, yeah, we're on the Edinburgh Fringe website in terms of being able to search for the show and buy tickets
0: thank you so much for your time today it was great to speak to you
5: thank you for having us thank you We're so really much for having you. us
4: yeah and we, we just have to also mention how awesome everyone is in making this happen like we've yeah. had an absolute dream team haven't we and a lot of support from people so yeah thank you to So I'd like,
5: to, I'd like to thank like obviously Lisa Ronkowski Natasha Cathy Chandra Gemma Kenny Chelsea Folks Nick at the Pleasants Beth at the Curve, and everybody that has mopped up my tears and excrement over the course of this year.
4: And thank you for having us on the show, please. <laughs> my, like, my pleasure. listening to this.
0: <laughs> my absolute pleasure. <laughs> really. It kind of looks like a donut. Is streaming on demand any single time you would like. You can view it at the Pleasants online from the 16th of August. Could we start by asking you your name and what you do, please?
3: Um, I am Kara Johnston, and I um, I said um twice. I'll just start again. That's okay. <laughs> I'm Kara Johnston, and I'm a playwright, director, and performer. And my show is in the Fringe right now.
0: How are you today? Are you well?
3: I am very well.
0: We were talking a little bit off air before we began. Tell the listeners whereabouts you are in the world at the moment.
3: Well, right now I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And if you've ever seen a show called Happy Days. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Because
0: we talked a little bit off air. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And we discussed the Butter Burger and Wisconsin cheese. But you never said Milwaukee, which when you said that, I was like, Happy Days. And Laverne and Shirley. What's that?
3: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: But we are not here to discuss them. We are here to discuss your show, which is, (laughs) I need to take a breath before this title. The Little Glass Slipper as performed by the Queen of France and her friends. Yes. Yes. What is that? Sh- what is your show? Tell us a little bit about it.
3: Okay. Well, it is a historical comedy and I wrote it after I um, went to a trip to Paris and I was so, so, I was so um, influenced and inspired that I came home and I wrote the play. Um, it's about Marie Antoinette had a theater at in Versailles and she would put on plays with her friends. Now that's a historical fact. So I took it and put one of those plays as if it happened on the day the Bastille was stormed. And in reality, they had stopped performing plays by that time, but for our our play's sake, that's what happens. And I was just inspired by um, a play that's so beautiful and extravagant and it's falling apart and it kind of um, mirrors the ancient regime in that time.
0: Yeah, it kind of very much goes with what happened at that time as the Bastille was falling, which I don't know a great deal about, but I imagine getting into the show, and just by reading on Twitter and Instagram, you, you've you done a little bit of research for the show, <laughs> yeah. to say the least.
3: I'm very obsessive. So for the past about two years, I have deep-dived in the French Revolution. Um, that's like the only thing I can ever think about. I watch movies about it. I watch I just absorb everything I can. And I, I read Wikipedia articles in the middle of the night. And I am just and you think that since the play's filmed and it's already out into the world because I filmed my play as opposed of going, um, you would think that I would have like calmed down. But no, I'm still like two nights ago. I, I was screen, um I took a screenshot and sent it to one of the actors. And I'm like, this is amazing. And then my actor was like, it's 2 a.m. And there's nothing I can do with this information because it's already filmed.
0: <laughs> I I admire that kind of dedication, though. That's incredible.
3: I don't know what I'm going to do when the play's over because it's like I'm not done with the French Revolution unless every play I do from now on, here on out, takes place between 1789 and 1793. I don't know what I'm going to do.
0: Unless you do a, do a sequel, Mar- Marie Antoinette in Heaven.
3: Yeah. Or Hell.
0: Or Hell, whichever. <laughs> Whatever happened on that day in the Bastille, (laughs) that is not for us to decide. That is for higher powers than us. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So how did the show come together? You said you've been deep diving for two years. Is that how long the show took?
3: Yes. Okay, so actually, so I wrote the script and then my sister and I, she's my partner in this. She we were like, let's why not go to the world's largest arts fest? Let's go to the top. For start our of first adult show <laughs> cuz what and so that was we got the courage we got a venue we were going to go and that was in 2020 I and see. then it didn't mm. um it didn't happen but um we worked harder <laughs> when it got canceled because we just kept revising the script getting more money so the the show itself was actually um it was better off for the show to put it off a year
0: i want to ask a little bit about How the show changed from its original inception to being in front of a crowd to being the recorded piece, which is available for streaming now. What was that process like changing it?
3: Oh man. (laughs) Thinking back, I don't know how I thought that I could travel with the show because they're so, the costumes are so heavy because it's 18th century costumes and the set is so extravagant. We, the, the thing that changed the most is we upgraded everything because when we found out we were filming it we were like okay so now let's build a set otherwise we were going to we had this plan of making everything on tarps and painting them really pretty so they they could fold up and we could travel with them and we built our set and and just expanded everything I also added more characters because I didn't have to travel with only six I could have 12 in the cast if I wanted to yeah
0: you so those weren't... are the
3: two things I just expanded it
0: you weren't traveling with an army in a shipping crate for example
3: right right
0: so what did you learn about Marie Antoinette when you were putting the show together and how did that influence the show how real is the show
3: <sighs> okay so I never set out to make a royal sympathizing piece i mean my my love for the french revolution is the revolutionaries like i i love reading about Robespierre and danton and murat and i just those are my people of fascination and obviously marie antoinette is a huge figurehead in the french revolution and it was at Marie Antoinette's theater where the play came to me because I wanted it to be when I went and I visited Versailles and I saw her theater I knew that I wanted it to be a play within a play format but I wanted that play to fall apart and so with Marie Antoinette I I just studied about her but I was like you know now's not really the the time to write something write a fluff piece where yeah. Where Marie Antoinette and this person of extreme privilege, while people are starving in the streets and dying, now is not the time to make her out a hero. And so I just um, I tried to be as fair as possible, but also I mean, you never want to see someone die. I mean, like I I just I think that characters are more it, it, it's deeper than that. Like they're they're full they're well they're just so complex there's a there's a bad guy but you know sometimes you care for them still and that's what really I just tried to make her out to a real person sometimes she's annoying like she she gets on my nerves in the play but then also at the end I really feel for her and you know she doesn't need to be queen anymore but it's kind of sad to see her see her so mm. pathetic. I said that my Marie Antoinette puts the pathetic in sympathetic. So that's what mine does. You're still sympathetic, but yeah. it's really, yeah.
0: I, I don't have any tattoos and I think I'm going to get putting the pathetic in sympathetic on my arm. That's a brilliant quote.
4: Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great.
0: What was it like? casting it because as you said you can put as many people in it because you're not traveling with it what was the yeah. process of casting like and putting yourself into it as well what was that like
3: well I thought it was very Marie Antoinette of me to cast myself as Marie Antoinette yeah, <laughs> like, like when we you joked s- about that so hard
0: yeah that it's, is very Marie Antoinette like when you said that you'd go you went to the palace of Versailles and saw the stage where she would perform with her friends that's that's a yeah, very, very, very meta <laughs> yes
3: um okay so i i hired people that um i knew as actors that were very very good and those were the the leads but then i wanted since i knew i was filming it i wanted um and it would be immortalized in film forever yes i cast my <laughs> my non-actor best friends and my sister-in-law like i cast them as the servants in the film And so um, they're not actors at all, but I think they did a great job. And sometimes non-actors can give a very good performance because they're not in the confines of, I have to do this. Like they're just in the moment and listening. Um, And so that was really fun. But the other actors, um, since I was filming it in Dallas, That's where I got my actors from. But I I took two up here in Milwaukee because I've been here for a few years. I took them down there, down to Texas with me. That's so cool. And then I I cast myself as lead. I mean, would you not if you wrote a play? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like everything I've written, like there's a reason it's called The Peter Greenwood Show. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Hilarious.
0: Now, this is normally the point where I'd ask. people like what do you think such and such would think of your play like if somebody's playing something what do you think such and such would think of your play but Marie Antoinette is not here to give her thoughts no. what do you think she would make of your play I've
3: actually what, what thought you about know of this her? yeah I don't know if she would like it because <laughs> I don't know if she would like it I think she would be like that's not what happened you know because she'd want to she... put on
0: her own play
3: right yeah I but I think Robespierre Denton, and Marat would like it.
0: Yeah, they'd have a great time.
3: <laughs> yeah, especially with the end. But yes. Um, or maybe they would think that I made her too sympathetic because I tried to be fair, like I didn't yeah. go one way or the other. So maybe I'm glad that they're not around because I wouldn't want to offend them. Yeah, that's
0: that's kind of you to say. Who wants to offend somebody who's going to chop your head off? No. <laughs> I want to ask a little bit about what the future is for the play after the fringe. Where are you taking it next?
3: Okay. So I'm, um, I'm currently working on that. Got some emails going. I'm, you know, if I'm gonna just, you know, why not just dream, dream on here? Um, I'd love to have other theaters produce my play. I would love to tour it. You know, like those are the dreams. I mean, I don't know how much with this, um, the um, variant of the, mm. the world's <laughs> so least know. favorite C word. <laughs> yes. Um, but if that wasn't going around or if that would clear up soon, I would love to tour it. Um, but this was my first play to write. And so I'm kind of just sitting with it. What next? I mean, I wanted to do the fringe and now the Fringe is going to be over in a little bit. So, yeah, ten
0: days at the time of recording it, ten days left of the fringe. I think,
3: what what am I gonna do? <laughs> um yeah, so I'm still working on that. I am talking to a lot of people. I have a whole list of emails that the Fringe Society has so generously helped me compile, and i'm I'm working with that. Um, but yeah, as of right now, I don't know, but hopefully that will change. I mean, Hopefully. it will change because I am yeah. working hard on it, but
0: I do hope you get to tour it and take it out into the world.
3: Yeah, I think I've really, um, I mean, I'm a little biased, but I think it's great and I think that people would love it.
0: Where can people find out more about you and about the show online?
3: Well, you can follow us on Instagram at um, Glass Slipper Show, and then you can follow us on Twitter at Slipper Show. And then you can go to our website, glass They isn't it upsetting that glass slipper show was already taken on Twitter on Twitter. Like that is all of them. Wild. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's so awful when you don't have like the streamlined all the way through and there needs to be one oh. that you have to change. I hate it. So whoever owns hey. Glass Glass Slipper Show on Twitter, we're coming for you. Make yeah. no mistake yeah and this is a show about you know the french revolution look what happened there not saying just saying
3: yeah hilarious
0: (laughs) thank you so much for your time today it was really great to speak to you
3: thank you for talking to me this is so much fun i wish i I, well maybe I'll, i'll meet you in person next next french
0: yes 2022 will be our year i'll come and say hello
3: absolutely thank you it's
0: my absolute pleasure The Little Glass Slipper, as performed by the Queen of France and her friends, is playing any single time you would like to watch it at the Fringe Online player, available from the 13th of August.